0: mind and then through the mind to the heart. That's teaching. Preaching is kind of backwards, and I'm not saying backwards in a bad way. It's just the opposite. Preaching actually is focused on the heart, on the emotional side. It's focused on the part of who you are, your identity, and and how you feel, and and what your experiences are. And, And preaching is a lot more emotional. Preaching is a lot more intensive because it's trying to touch the heart. And the heart, for most people, is not easily won. The heart has been hurt too many times to open itself up to new information. And so it takes time to reach the heart. It takes connection. It takes trust. And a lot of preachers who do it well are preachers who've been doing it for a long time. They've proven that you can trust them. They've proven that if you open your heart up to preaching, they will not manipulate you. They've proven that, that if you just allow your heart to feel the message, that, it, that, you are, that your heart will be given truth and not philosophy, theology, and not opinion or tradition. Now, I said preachers who do it well, because there's a lot of preachers who don't do it well. There's a lot of preachers who don't know you and you don't know them, but they'd expect you to open your heart to them and to just let them pour information. There's a lot of preachers who are infusing into your heart through preaching. It's not theology. It's not truth. It's philosophy. It's tradition and it's opinion. And your heart is being swayed, but not by truth. There's a lot of preachers who have broken your trust, who have hurt you, but still expect you to come Sunday morning and say, here's my heart. What does God want with it? And that's not really an appropriate way to handle preaching. I'm not a preacher because I dislike preaching. I'm not a preacher because I can't preach. Personally, I like the idea of information coming here to here. That's just what I like. doesn't mean it's the only way. doesn't mean it's always the right way. It is a way. But this morning, I'm going to preach. This morning, I'm not going to teach. Now, I gave you the two so you could see the difference. I gave you the two so you could understand I'm going to present it differently today. I gave you the two so you can understand there's no slides on the screen because I'm not teaching, I'm preaching. I gave you the two because you're going to recognize, well, wow, Pastor Russ is a little more excitable today because I'm preaching and I'm not teaching. I gave you the two because you're like, man, I felt that because I'm preaching and I'm not teaching. Today, my hope is that you feel it. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't go here. <laughs> I mean, what good is it if it doesn't go here? It just means that preaching goes here, and then because you felt something so strongly, because it moved you so much, you begin to think on it. And all week, you're thinking on what you felt Sunday. Whereas previous, and most of the time, I'm, I'm hoping you feel what you thought about Sunday. Usually, today, I'm hoping you'll think what you feel today. All right, you get that? You good? Here we go. Romans. <laughs> Chapter 15, Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. By the way, when I preach, believe it or not, I actually talk faster. So please forgive me ahead of time. If you thought I talked fast when I teach, you're in for a real ride today. Romans chapter 15, and the Bible says in verse 6, great, she says, here we go, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. What is our problem as Christians? Well, that's not a true, uh, truly good question, is it? Because the premise is wrong. It's what is our problems, plural, as Christians. You say To say what is our problem, singular, is denying the truth. We got a lot of problems as Christians. We got a lot of them. You know, our problems are we hurt other people with our own bad decisions. We hurt other Christians, and the Christians run from church, and they run from God because they've been hurt by people who are supposed to reflect God. Some of you have been running from God because someone who's supposed to represent represent God, hurts you deeply. That is not how it ought to be. That is one of the problems of the church. We hurt people. Rather than help people find healing, we bring them more hurt. We bring them more pain. That is not God's heart. God's heart is not that the church hurts the world. God's heart is that the church loves the world, not the things of the world, but the people in the world. Now, love does not require you to embrace their choices. Love does not require you to agree with their decisions, but it surely does require you to show them kindness and compassion, to show them that you care, and showing cannot be a facade. Showing cannot be shallow. Showing cannot be fake. You have to be the real deal. And that's another problem with Christians. We're not the real deal. So many Christians are just living a lie. Not not saying you're not saved. You are saved. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's it. That's all you need to do to be saved. God intentionally made it easy for people to be saved because if it was even the least bit hard, we'd all go to hell. You say, Pastor Russ, it seems like salvation is too easy. On purpose, God did it that way. God wants you to go to heaven so very badly. He did all the hard work. He came up with a plan. He sent his son to fulfill the plan. His son accomplished the plan. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to tell us about the plan. All right, the work is all done by God. You just have to accept the work that was done for you to be saved. What a glorious thought that salvation is easy because Christ did all of the heavy lifting. You know what is hard? It is hard to follow Christ with your life once you're saved. It is hard to be a disciple after you've chosen Christ as your Savior. And that is where we as Christians fake it. You see, deep down we know that if we're saved, there should be something more. If we've accepted Christ, then we should follow Christ. Should, I say. Not have to follow Christ to be saved because salvation is free, it's by faith, and doesn't require anything for you to do to be saved or to stay saved. But we know deep down because the Holy Spirit tells us deep down that once you're saved, now what are you going to do? Now we know it should be there and we want to pretend that it's there, but for most Christians, that's all we do. We just pretend. We fake it. On Sunday, we live the life that is preached from the pulpit. That's all we know. But it's not really hitting here or here. It's only barely here. And we just barely do with our hands what we think we should. But even the world can see through us. Even the world can see that we're fake. Even the world can see that we're playing a game and they're not interested. Why would they take time out of their day to go to church to play games with a bunch of fake people? They could do that anywhere else. It doesn't have to be here. And Christians are starting to notice that too. People who legitimately got saved go to church looking for something real only to find it's not real. And they look from church to church looking for something real and over and over again the discouragement of their fake and their fake and their fake. What does it mean to be real? It means to stop playing a game and to be who you claim to be. Now you can be real in chaos You can be chaos personified and be real. doesn't mean you're good, but at least you're real. Christians, we know we should be good. Why? For God's glory. We know we should be good. Why? To help people see God's glory. But we fake it. It's hard to be good. It's hard to make the right choices. It's hard to be kind consistently. It's hard to keep the main thing the main thing. We so easily as believers want our opinions to be the main thing. We want our emotions to be the main thing. We want our personal beliefs to be the main thing. And if our church doesn't agree with us on what we believe to be the main thing, then we're out of here. And if a Christian doesn't agree with us and unite with us on what we believe to be the main thing, well then are you even saved, brother? I mean, can I even call you brother? And so many, what should be, healthy relationships are broken because people, specifically Christians, cannot keep focused on what is the main thing. Verse 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. That is the main thing. One mouth and one mind glorify God. The main thing is this. Does your life reflect God? Does your mouth reflect God? Do your relationships reflect God? That's the main thing. And if they don't, then you're just faking it. And if they don't, then other people see you're faking it. And I can tell you this, faking it hurts you, and it hurts people looking for the real thing. Faking it hurts Christians who want the real thing. Faking it hurts unbelievers, people who do not believe in God, wondering if Christianity is the real thing. Your faking it hurts more people than you'll ever know. One mouth and one mind, glorify God. It sounds easy, right? I mean, that's all we got to do, then what's the big problem? Because we have so many different opinions on how that ought to look. Well, you can only glorify God if you dress a certain way. You can only glorify God if you sing certain types of songs and stay away from others. You can only glorify God if you do this, if you do that. And that's where the list begins to be written. The list that if you don't follow this list, then you aren't glorifying God. And that's where we begin to separate. I think verse 6 is pretty easy for most Christians and most churches to agree on. Oh, sure, we want to glorify God. Where's the list that tells us how to do that? Christ created a list. Christ gave us a list. Did you know that? There's actually a list in the Bible that tells you the best way to glorify God. It's not a very long list. It's actually made of two things. Have you discovered? Have you been reminded yet of what that list is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others like yourself. That is Christ's list on how to glorify him. You know what's not on there? Everything else. I'm not saying you shouldn't make good decisions in other areas. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a sense of morality of right and wrong in your life. Of course there should be. But here's the truth. If you love God, Christ himself said, all the law and all the prophets fall under loving God and loving others. That Basically, you will do everything else if you just keep the main thing the main thing. Everything else in God's word, all the expectations, all the goodness that God wants us to become, all of the justness that God wants us to reflect of him, that is all covered when we just love him and love others. And yet, Christians are so concerned about the list, you know what they're not doing? They're not loving God. They're focused on the list. They forgot to love God. You know what they're not doing? They're not loving people. They're focused on the list. Oh, so they look great and they talk great and they eat all the right things and they don't do or eat the wrong things. They're following a list that someone else gave them that doesn't include the only two things that should be on the list love God and love people. Do you love God? And do you love people? check, check, your list is done. Do you fail? Do you struggle to love God and love people? Forget everything else. I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you've done. If you do not love God and if you do not love people, you're failing the list. You are faking it. You are not the real deal. With one mind, with one mouth, Let's glorify God, not with the list that some preacher gave you decades ago, not with the list that your parents gave you, not with the list that you came up with in your own mind of what should be right and wrong. These are philosophies, and these are traditions. Things you came up with outside of God's Word, that's a philosophy. That's a tradition. Throw away your philosophical list. Throw away your traditional list, and let's rewrite it today. Love God and love people. You're good to go. Everything else falls under that. Ask yourself, in the way I treat this person, am I showing them love? In the way I talk to this person, am I showing them love? Then change how you treat them and change how you talk to them for no other reason than you're not loving them. And what I'm doing and not doing, do I love God? Change, not to be a better person, not to look better to other people. Change, because you finally realize I'm not loving God in the way that I live my life. In the way that I love others, I'm not not loving God. Now, we're told in Romans, we're told in Romans chapter 7, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to glory. So here we go, if you truly love someone, then you will receive them as they are. Let me explain what that means. That does not mean you allow them to live in your home and to rob you blind. It does not mean you allow them to affect your children and destroy your family and destroy your marriage. It does not mean you give them your keys to your car and let them crash it down the road. When you receive someone, it does not mean that you receive them into your deepest heart of trust. Receiving does not require trusting. What it means is you allow them to come where you are. That's what it means. You allow them to join you where you're at. Where are you? Well, I'm with Christ. Are you with Christ? Then you receive everyone to join you at the feet of Christ. You don't say, oh, you're not good enough. You can't join me with Christ. He doesn't want you. Who are you talking for? Because it's certainly not God. Oh, you're not good enough. You can't be at the feet of Christ yet. Fix your problems. Fix your life. Then you can be received where I'm at. You aren't the one that actually has the authority to tell them that. Your job is one job only. Open up your arms and say, hey, all are welcome here at the foot of Christ. I was welcome. You are welcome. I receive you not to salvation. I can't save you. I receive you by my side so you can be saved by the one who saved me, Christ. We as Christians are so focused on the outward appearance of other people. We're so focused on their beliefs and their philosophies. Look, if they're not saved, of course what they believe and feel is going to be different than God's word. What do you expect? You cannot judge the world by what they believe and feel because you already know what they believe and feel. They need to be brought to Christ so Christ can show them what is the truth and help them feel him receive them as they are. Not into your home, not into your heart, not into your trust. Receive them into the position that you are by the feet of Christ. All are welcome here. You know, God is a gift giver. I've said that so many times. I personally don't find much thrill out of receiving gifts. I understand the heart behind it. and I appreciate when folks give me gifts, but for me, there's other ways to show me you care about me than giving me gifts, but I love giving gifts. Why? Because I love doing what Christ does. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the best gift givers this world has ever known. God is a gift giver. In fact, this morning upstairs, all the kids are getting more gifts. They got gifts last week, they're getting more gifts today. Why? Because they need it. I said this last year none of your kids need more toys. I know that. The church is not buying your kids stuff because they need more stuff. You know why we're getting your kids stuff? Because we love them. And it is a practical way for your kids to feel loved. Now it is your problem what they do with that stuff when they go home. It is my problem to show them that they're loved. I did my part. Now it's all on you. We love your kids. People in this room with no kids love your kids. People in this room with kids love your kids. We love your kids. And so we're going to love them. And we're going to keep loving them. And when there's an opportunity to show them love, I'm taking that opportunity every time. And so, yes, your kids got more gifts upstairs because we love your kids. You can't be a better gift giver than God. You want to talk about a parent spoiling their child? Take a look at God and how God spoils you and how God has spoiled me. You want to see someone who gives above and beyond needs, above and beyond even wants It's like, God, I didn't even want that. Like, you're going to give it to me? I didn't want it? I mean, I'll take it. Great, but I didn't want it. God's like, yeah, I just love you so much. I'm going to spoil you above what you want. That's the God I serve. Our God loves to give. And our God doesn't just give one time, one and done. Our God keeps giving. I read here in verse 8 now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Gentiles. So God's first gift of course is Christ himself. Christ himself came from God John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his son and Romans chapter 15 verse 8 reminds us again that his son is a gift. My daughters like to mess with me. It's become a tradition now where they think of what is the worst gift I can give my father. I'm wondering what day that tradition will break. They now, it seems, only shop at one place for me. Can you imagine where they go to shop for me? The Dollar Tree. I know. It's become a joke where they're thinking, what can I give my dad that's trash, that looks like, you know, get a, get a rise out of him? I, I don't care. There's nothing my daughters can afford that I need. So, you know, I get the joke. I can appreciate the joke. My daughters like to razz me, and I'm okay with that. They're, you know, I got two teen girls. I can live with that. God doesn't give us trash. God can afford more, and God gives more. You know, the greatest gifts aren't the things that you buy, right? You, you love your kids. You love your spouse. You guys, you spent way more money than you should have. I know, I know that. You don't have to tell me. I'm not going to embarrass you. Who spent over, you know, $500? I'm not going to ask that. I already know you spent way more than you should have. I know that because you love your family. I get it. The greatest gifts aren't any of those wrapped under the tree. They're fun. Your kids will have fun. I'm not saying this part to make you feel guilty. You need to understand this. The greatest gifts aren't the ones wrapped on the tree. The greatest gifts are you. You, when you give yourself to your child, your presence in the room while the kids are unwrapping those gifts that aren't as expensive as you paid for them, aren't as valuable as you paid, your presence is the gift. Your love, your embrace, your smile as your child opens the gift and sees you and you're smiling, that's the gift to your kids the meal you have afterwards with them, the time you spend with them later in the week when you go see the lights one last time, when you go do something together, that is the gift. Because the greatest gifts have always, always, always been relationships. There is no greater gift than your sincere offer of friendship and love. And you know, it's hard to give that gift, isn't it? It's easy to give it to our family, easier. It's harder to give it to people not in our family because we end up giving so much of ourselves to our family, there's not much left to give to those outside our family. We have to be a little picky sometimes, a little choosy, right, on how much of ourselves we can give to people not in our family. You only have so much of yourself to give. And God the Father said, oh, I love God the Son. We've spent eternity together. But I love the world so much, I'm going to give my Son to the world for a time. And God the Son loves God the Father so much. I love spending time with God the Father. But you know what? I love the world so much, I'm going to go to the world and give myself to the world. God has given us many gifts, but the greatest of which is himself. God gave himself to you and to me. When Christ left, do you remember the promise that he gave the apostles, the disciples, the followers? He said, I've got to go, but don't worry. He didn't say it like this, but essentially he's saying, but I've got another gift for you. And what was that gift that was going to be left behind? Anyone know? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be the gift replacing the gift because the greatest gift is a relationship and if the relationship with Christ was going to be gone from this earth then the relationship with the Holy Spirit would replace it verse nine and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name why are the Gentiles singing here The Gentiles are singing here because of the gift they've received from God, the Son. And how do the Gentiles know of this gift? They know of this gift because of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was sent to the world to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit that was sent to the world to teach the world of sin and to teach the world of Christ. One gift replaced the other gift so that we, the Gentiles, could receive the gift. What good is a gift if you don't know it exists? What good is a gift if it's not accessible? You tell your kids, oh, we got one more gift for you. Where is it? I don't know. I've lost it. Well, then why tell me? That just makes it so much harder. I know you guys have already, some of you are frantically searching for that gift that you bought a month ago. That's the last time you'll buy gifts early. God doesn't just give us gifts. God gives us gifts that we can have. You see, there's a lot of people that have created their own religions, and they love the idea of a God that gives gifts that you can't achieve. They love the idea of a God that gives gifts you can't receive. And they make it so hard for you to receive the gift that it's impossible, that if you ask this person, are you saved, all they can say is, I hope so, I don't know. Because it's so hard to get this gift, I don't even know if I'm good enough to get it. Some of you have come from religions like that. I don't need to say the religion, because it's actually more than one. That, make, that give the idea that God gives gifts, but then make it so you can never get it. <laughs> but the God of my Bible... Gives gifts that you are able to receive. The Holy Spirit is literally at your side saying, do you want the gift now? Do you want the gift now? Are you ready for the gift now? I'm so excited for you to unwrap the gift and to take it as your own. Do you want the gift now? The gift, of course, is Christ. The gift, of course, is salvation in Christ. And because of that, Gentiles, we, non-Jews, can, verse 9, rejoice. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name, verse 10. And again he saith, rejoice ye, Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. You see, in the Old Testament, the Jews had an idea that you could only be saved if you were a Jew. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, Christ was preaching the message to the Jews, but whenever he spoke to a Gentile, whenever he healed a Gentile, whenever he loved a Gentile, gave to a Gentile, received a Gentile, the Jews got upset. And they thought, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we were the only ones receiving gifts here. It'd be close to you buying gifts for your kids, and then on Christmas morning after that, getting in the car and saying, all right, let's pack up. We're going to go to the neighbor's house. We're going to go to a friend's house, to the church member's house, and we're going to drop off some gifts for them. And your kid's complaining and whining the whole way and saying, we want more gifts. So I thought the gifts are only for us. You're our parents. You're not their parents. Why are you giving them gifts? That would be similar to what Christ experienced with the Jews. How dare you give gifts to anyone else but us? We are your people, not them. But Christ reminds them. Yes, I came here for the Jews, but I'm a savior to the world. And for that, we can rejoice. We can be brought into the family of God. It's not just Christ getting in the minivan with the kids and dropping off gifts. It's Christ getting in the minivan, knocking on the door and saying, come to my house, we're going to take you in. we got food, we got an extra bedroom, we got everything you need. You can join our family. That's what Christ did. He let the Gentiles join his family. Do you recognize just how big a deal that is? And now, verse 13, and we're done. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. And there it is, the Holy Spirit, the gift that replaced the gift. The gift of one relationship with Christ replaced by relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not that, in the sense, you no longer have a relationship with Christ, but the Holy Spirit assists you in having a relationship with Christ. That's hard to do when Christ is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is here with us. In verse 13... The God of hope fill you with what? Well, joy, peace, and what? Hope. You see, you can't give someone what you do not have. You can't go to someone and say, I really want to help you. I know you're struggling. I'd love to give you $100,000. Wow, that's awesome. Great. When can I get it? Well, I don't have it yet. When I have it, I'll give it to you. Okay. Not going to hold my breath on that one. You know, you can't give someone what you do not have. God has hope. God has joy. God has peace. And God wants to give it to you. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, and this is going to be like the clincher of the message. A lot of people don't understand how to get these things. Hope, joy, and peace. They want them. They don't have them. You struggle with hope. You're not sure what the future holds. It scares you. You know there's heaven, but you're not really sure what heaven looks like, and you're not sure the pain you'll receive on your way to heaven. You're not sure you want to go to heaven yet, like, earth might actually be better. You never say that out loud, but in the back of your mind, you think, I think this life's better than heaven. Like, when you say it out loud, you're like, that sounds stupid, but that's what you think. Joy. You, You have an idea of what joy is. It's the idea that emotions do not ever steal from you the inner joy, the inner knowledge that there is something bigger in your life than the problems you have. There is someone bigger in the life than the people causing problems. Joy is not affected by our emotions. Joy is not affected by our trials. Joy is not a happy smile. Joy is not a twinkle in the eye. Joy is a a, a spiritual of the heart knowledge that above all my pain, above all my issues, people and otherwise, I have Christ, and my heart has joy. And then peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that the world cannot truly fathom. Peace that even a lot of Christians have never experienced. I'm not saying that peace eliminates your anxiety because some of us have anxiety ingrained in us. It's just a part of who we are. But peace is always there talking to your anxiety. And when your anxiety levels start to rise, peace says, "Whoa, whoa, I got this, and has a conversation with your anxiety and says, calm down, calm down. You know the truth. God is here with you. You have not been forgotten. You have not been abandoned. I know the world is chaotic, but don't worry, God's still on the throne. Peace is always there, you might say, counseling your anxiety. Peace is always there, holding the hand of your fears and embracing your fears and saying, it's going to be okay. Don't give in to your fears. Peace is the answer. Hope, joy, and peace. Doesn't it sound wonderful? Doesn't it sound (laughs) life-changing? Outside of being saved... Wouldn't it just be great to know the rest of your life you would always have hope, joy, and peace? And so many Christians have salvation and not even one, let alone all three that I just mentioned, hope, joy, and peace. You've been going decades trying to find one. Some of you have given up. You don't think it's possible. You think it's a lie. You think Christians who reflect hope, joy, or peace, let alone all three, you think they're the fakers because how could it be possible to have all three when you've been searching and seeking and trying for 20, 30 years and not even getting one? Surely, surely they must be lying. No, it's not a lie. You can have all three. You're just not looking in the right place. You're looking for hope, joy, and peace in your own good works. You're not going to find it there. You're hoping to find hope, joy, and peace by getting involved in church and serving and doing the community service projects. And for a moment, it gives you contentment. For a moment, it gives you happiness. For a moment, it gives you a shot in the arm spiritually of, wow, that felt good. But then you're right back to your life and say, that, wasn't, that can't be hope, joy, and peace because it's gone in like a day. Some of you think it's received in giving. The more I give to God, maybe I can buy it from God. Like, you know, God's some kind of, you know, cheap salesman. And, you you know, if you you don't, by the way, you don't have enough money to buy anything from God. But in your head, you think you do. If I just tithe a lot of money, God will give me hope, joy, and peace. That's a lie. It doesn't work that way. Some of you think if I just sacrifice, not so much serving God's church, just sacrifice everything I've got for God's kingdom, I'll get hope, joy, and peace. Well, you'll get the praise of man and you'll be broke. You probably won't have hope, joy, or peace. You're looking in the wrong place. So some of you are looking from those who've got it. Your friends, your family, other Christians who look like they have hope, joy, and peace, you're like, if I hang out with them and get it from them, I'll have it. Here's how it's going to work. At some point, you'll walk away from them, or you'll you'll start to fake it You'll feel so guilty being around someone with hope, joy, and peace that you don't have it. You're going to act like you have it so you look like you fit in. And there is the description of most churches today. There is a few people in these churches that have hope, joy, and peace. The rest are faking it so they can fit in with the few that they've got. The problem is they're so blind, they don't realize most of the church is faking it. And so they are all faking it, thinking everyone else is sincere, but they're all fakers. You can't get it from other Christians. You can't get it from sacrifice. You can't get it from service. You can't get it from tithing. You don't get hope, joy, and peace from the world, obviously. You get it from the one who has it Christ. Stop drawing closer to the people of God and run to God. Stop serving people and serve God. Stop building strong relationships with people before you have a strong relationship with God. I'm not saying eliminate relationships out of your life. Obviously, that's not the case. Love God and love people, right? But you're not. You're doing it backwards. You need to love God first. Run to God. Then you have something to help you with the people who have issues. You see, because if you go to people before you go to God, their depression, their disparity, their chaos will destroy you. You will love them to your very end, and it will be sooner than later. Your emotional end, your spiritual end, for some of us, our physical end will be brought on by loving people that we can't handle. But when you go to God and you receive from him the hope, joy, and peace, there is no one that you can't handle. There is no one that will break you when you have God's hope, joy, and peace. What are you missing today? Christmas Eve, what is it that's the biggest void in your life? It's the biggest gift you could receive, the gift of God's relationship to you. You say, Pastor Russ, I'm saved. That's not what I'm talking about. I mentioned that briefly today, but that has not been the theme of today's message. The theme of today's message has not been be saved, although I mentioned it and it is important. The theme of today's message is you are saved. Now run to God, know your God. Love your God. Fall on your knees. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Are you with him? Christmas is a wonderful time of the year because it reminds us of what the world could look like if we all had hope, joy, and peace. And then January comes. And it's lost. For the Christian, we can have Christmas every day of our life. For the Christian, we never have to walk away from the hope, joy, and peace that Christmas reminds us exists. Exists in God, in Christ. And you get it when you are with him. He wants to be with you. He literally sent the Holy Spirit to replace his presence when Christ left. He's done all of the steps necessary to open up an avenue for a healthy relationship with him of hope, joy, and peace. You just keep ghosting him. He speaks to your heart, you turn away. He brings an experience in your life that reminds you there is something bigger out there and you close your eyes. He offers you a gift, and then the world says, I got this from the Dollar Tree. It's really shiny. You want? it? you like, I'll take the Dollar Tree gift over what God offers you. Oh, how foolish we are. And then we wonder why we don't have hope, joy, or peace. The hope of the world is not in God's church. The hope of the world is not in God's Christians. The hope of the world is not in you or the things you do. The hope of the world is in Christ. And when you find Christ, don't leave Christ. The stronger your walk with Christ, the stronger your hope. The deeper your relationship with Christ, the deeper your joy. The greater your love for Christ, the greater your peace. That's just how it works. Draw close to Christ. Those three things will change your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the opportunity to be your people. In the room this morning, I'm sure that there are some here who have not ever accepted Christ as their Savior, and the things that I'm preaching, the things that I'm saying, sound good to them, but it's really odd for them to hear that this could be part of their everyday life. I pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to whisper into their ear, into their hearts, knowing that that they can know that they are not alone, that you are here, you do love them, and you do want to receive them into your family. I pray for the rest of us in this room who are saved, who do love you, but we struggle in our love for you. We do love people, but because we struggle in our love for you, inevitably we struggle in our love for people. I pray that as we enjoy the love, the peace, the hope, the joy tonight and tomorrow, that we would have such a drive to have it every day of our lives that your people this morning would realize there's only one place to find it. There's only one place to truly have it every day and that is by the side of Christ. I pray that that as the Holy Spirit speaks, we would listen. As he directs, we would follow. And as he asks, we would act. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you some announcements and then we'll dismiss. We do have our candlelight service tonight. As I